welcome back to another episode of You and I for the Kenai. We're here today at Serenity House with another great recovery story. We got Lloyd with us today. As always, I'm with Eric and Cobrin. Um, Lloyd, it's nice to have you here today. It's nice to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity. Awesome, man. Well, um, if you could just kind of get us started with where you're from. All right. A little background information. Absolutely. So <clears throat> it's important to uh, know where I came from and where I'm at right now and see that difference. Um, I started using drugs and alcohol when I was about 10 years old. Mm. Parents were divorced, moved all over the place with my mom, different school every year. It was kind of, uh, it was kind of tough. So I ended up with the, you know, forming this habit. And Pretty chaotic. Super chaotic, man. I was, you know, I was a new kid everywhere and uh, trying to fit in. And Where was this around? So we All moved. in one state, generally? Okay, so we went to uh, Oregon, yeah. down on the coast, Lincoln City. I lived there, you know, when we first moved out of Alaska. And then we moved to Portland, and then we moved to Castle Rock, Washington, and then we moved to Lewiston, Idaho, Clarkston, Washington. And the whole time my dad was living up here, and I wanted to, I wanted to live up here. Mm-hmm. You know, this, I was born and raised in Kodiak. Those were where my friends were, my you know people that I knew and was comfortable with. So my mom wouldn't really allow that. Um, she was a she was a part of your culture too. I mean, people who yeah spoke like you, dressed like you, like to do the things you like to do. It was home. Yeah, it yeah. was home. It was comfortable. Yeah, you know when I lived when I lived there. Um, I felt safe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in uh, the culture that I grew up in, we're fishermen. Yeah, you know, so we fish. Very distinct. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, Aaron's from. I was joking that Aaron was from Montana and couldn't <laughs> couldn't drive in the snow. <laughs> but I'm also. I drive perfectly fine. So. <laughs> I'm also from Montana, and when I moved up here, uh, my buddy was kind of like, "Hey, you want to fish in Bristol Bay?" So I went and fished for a summer, and that was like. It was very like, oh my, this is very much its own little world, man. Yeah. It is its own culture. It is its own, it's its whole th- own thing. So when you say like, you know, I born and raised up to a certain point in Kodiak, like moving out of a really a heavy commercial fishery driven area, I think would be really hard to adjust to. Yeah. Really hard. Yeah, indeed. More than others or more than a lot, I would say. Well, you know, what it was, what it was mostly like was, it was uncomfortable because down there it's all about like image, you know, uh, and I, I just, I didn't fit that. Mm-hmm. You know, where I grew up in Kodiak fishing, it's more realism. Mm-hmm. So the background I came from, and, and this is just being a, a little kid and I'm still realizing this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was, you know, extra tough boots, yeah. sweatshirts, sweats, you know, rain gear, yeah. it was that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and go down there and everyone's, they have flip-flops and surfer shorts and, and their hair's all did up and um, it was all about image. And I, I didn't really fit that image, right. you mm-hmm. know. Uh, and it wasn't that we were poor, you know, we, my dad took very good care of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't really, didn't really want for too much, but 
But how you saw life I, was completely yeah. different. I didn't know what to want down there. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I was completely, completely confused. So, mm -hmm. and my mom was drinking all the time, and you know, I would go to this fridge and sneak a beer here and there, and you know, uh, it was just, uh, it was just a way to cope with all that stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, being a new, kid, I was, I was super scrawny. Got picked on a lot. Got bullied a lot. And when I stood up for myself, I ended up getting expelled from school. Sure. Mm -hmm. So you had to deal with that, man. I had, I really had no self-worth. Mm -hmm. At you know, starting at like, <coughs> excuse me, ten years old, all the way through, I really had no self-worth. You know, so I started, I started to come back up here and go fishing with my dad when uh, I was about twelve years old. Okay. In the uh, summers. In the, in the summers, because we fish and cook inlet. We still have a permit in a boat to this day. Okay. So, and uh, my dad's had it for 50-some years. Um, so I started coming up here, fishing with my dad, and then we'd go over to Kodiak on our boat and fish herring and longline halibut. And I ended up um, getting a job on another boat outside the family. And that's when I was like, wow, man, I'm, I'm really doing something. I'm doing something on my own. You know, I was like, 14 at that point. So I basically I moved out of the house and moved on to a boat mm -hmm. when I was like 14. And I had family in Kodiak still, so when we were in port, I would go and I would hang out with them. <coughs> this, excuse me, this whole time that uh, I'm doing this, our, our credo was work hard, play hard. Mm -hmm. We've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, uh, well, I really took that to heart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I thought that, uh, you know, I thought that I'd earned the right to um, the party, man, and I, I loved it. And the culture really, in a lot of ways, and the work it. hard, play hard, that's what it says. Super promoted. That's what it says, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, if you're, you were working on the fishing boats at 14, they are probably like, you're basically a man, and you can do whatever you want as long as you keep up kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and in the sense, I think... Uh, this is, like I said, I like to get off topic a little bit. Because I've thought about this, too. I've fished with, uh, I've fished with some people, and, you know, one person had said something along the lines, like, you know, at a young age, she was fishing, and, uh, you know, it's not like, oh, we're going to work hard, and we're, you know, oh, you're pretty much an adult. Here's a little weed to smoke. It was like, here's an eight ball of blow, and, like, here's, I mean, it was, it was, uh, you know, it was pretty all out. And I think one of the things that's interesting about that is I think when you're on the water, like the laws matter, right? I mean, the society's laws matter. But really when you're out on the ocean, nature's laws matter. And I think that mm. that perpetual kind of mindset of like we are like fighting against nature's laws, I think those in some ways, especially maybe on an island, I've never been to Kodiak, but on an island, that that you see in the culture too, you know, like we are human beings and like we really battle with nature and nature's laws, yeah. you know. I mean, yeah, they still have court system. It's still society, you know. It's still, it's not like a, I'm not saying it's like some cave age or anything. But I think, <laughs> but I think when, you, when you live in a way that you have to battle nature to survive, and you do that in a in a constant way that truly does threaten your survival and that's how you make your money i don't think that you just go from like battling nature's laws to then like existing in a cute cubicle of society's laws i think like that culture integrates itself to where you know you're you're 15 years old you're working hard you're surviving you are with you know 
and all of a sudden the next thing you know like you're doing some things that that like you said if you know if you uh if you'd really take that to heart you're you can get into some situations seems like and And you know you you think about when you're a kid you know growing up in that like cubicle corner of society you know or whatever what's when you think back like when i think back like you know like when i think about why i couldn't drink at 10 years old you know it's like oh this is an adult beverage for adults you know what i mean mm-hmm. and adults have different responsibilities like what makes an adult they have a job they go to work every day they provide things they make money whatever you know they have these other responsibilities yeah, you just went to school and yeah. complained about your homework pretty much yeah <laughs> but when you're 15 and you don't have any different responsibilities from the adult there is literally nothing that separates you from yeah. them at this point when yeah. you deck can next to a 30 year old yeah you're practically i mean you're doing the same 30. things yeah yeah yeah. You feel 30, at least, oh, you man. know. Yeah. Sometimes 50 or 60. <laughs> right, right. It's hard, son. Yeah. 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 So, and there's no reason really not to. They're your peers at that point. Yeah. There's nothing that separates you. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, well, you, know you said it a couple times, survival. Mm-hmm. So, like, growing up in that culture with those people doing those things, uh, it's basically, yeah, you're right, uh, survival mode. So it's... Um, we don't really, I never really thought about consequences, mm-hmm. right? You know, the, the higher mind thinks about consequences and the reptilian mind is, is survival and that's pretty much where I dwelled. Mm-hmm. Um, being that young and being around those people, uh, you know, I felt comfortable, I felt safe, that was my normal. And these guys were partying, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. super partying. Yeah. Um, we had, we had lots of uh, lots of fun, and there was, like I said, there was no consequences. And you're right; we didn't think about the the rules of society because, hey, we go out and we survive this every day. I mean, it's it's some dangerous. You just mm-hmm. can't pull over if you break down and get help at your go to a gas station or a garage. You're on your own. Mm-hmm. So it gives us a feeling of. Mm, like we deserve yeah right? yeah uh so we're entitled to to you know act that way however <coughs> excuse me <clears throat> however um because of that using the drugs and the alcohol partying thinking it's fun oh hey i do it because i like to do it really is just a super cop out that's just that's that's all BS. Uh, that's just a way of saying I don't want to look at my problems. I don't want to look at why I drink, why I do drugs. And here's a here's a conversation ender. I do it because I like it. Bullshit. Um, so, but it took me a long time to figure that out. Sure. I'm talking like 34 years of partying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, 30 years of working, 20 years of working out in the Bering Sea. Uh, had um, I was married, kids. I've I have two girls and three boys. I started very young. I I'm in contact with all of them. My daughter lives with me. It's great. I got a son here, and I got a son out west fishing right now on a crab boat. Nice. Yeah. So uh, and my other son lives in Arizona. My daughter lives. My uh, daughter Taylor lives down in uh, Washington. So. 
all they all did really well, really well. Uh, my young my youngest daughter Sierra is getting ready to go into the Navy. Oh, nice! Yeah, mm -hmm. and that's my baby. I was there when she was born. Yeah, all the all the others I weren't. I was I was out fishing, so mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm really proud of that. But to get back from like where where I started. Uh, I did not think that I had any sort of problem because it was normal. It was what totally. we did. Totally. Mm -hmm. Totally. <clears throat> we, uh, I was doing really well, you know, as far as money goes. You know, I got, I got married because that was the right thing to do. And she was just a wonderful person. Uh, and, you know, she, we got pregnant. Uh, my daughter was born. How old were you when you got married? I was 26. Okay. 26 when I got married. And so my daughter was born. We had a house, had a, a nice little boat in the in the driveway, a new truck, lots of friends. Um, you're still fishing. You're still, still making fishing, money. Still you're making, still. Yeah. I mean, life yeah. as far as all the cultural boxes go. Check. 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 You are yeah. sitting pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so did you did you regulate yourself pretty well? Because it seems like you're saying like <laughs> that many years of partying, you would assume something would break after a while. But uh, yeah. you must have, was it pretty regular that you guys were like, uh, yeah, we can't go crazy every night, uh, I guess because you got work later on. Or, right. or what, what kind of regulate that? Well, so... <clears throat> My wife did. <laughs> sure. Sure. <clears throat> so it was this thing. So I took that mentality of working on the boat. I took that home with me. And my wife, she did not, she wasn't that way. She would mm -hmm. be like a sociable weekend drinker, have a couple drinks, get all silly, start dancing around, and then put it up and go home, right? Wake up with a headache, and that was it. Mm -hmm. I took my mentality home and I was mowing the yard, smoking weed in the garage, going in the house, cooking dinner with her and drinking beer, you know, and maybe some shots of whiskey. Um, and then it turned into buddies would come over and we'd go out in the garage and we'd do a line of coke. Yeah, so I was like 27 before, or 20, yeah, about 27 before I, before I messed with coke. Mm -hmm. uh, but that, that's what like, that's a kind slippery of, slope there. That fired off my downfall. Really? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I guess it was all the guilt and the shame that I felt like when I did it. Really? I, yeah, I just, I took that, I took that in and I carried that in the house with me and I carried that in my conversations and my Where was that coming from? Uh, the guilt? Well, yeah. I, so I knew better. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. So I have a thing about in integrity. I didn't know a definition then. I got a really cool definition now. Um, and I got it out of the book. So my morals and values and my beliefs, my spiritual beliefs, all integrated, right? That's the connection between the heart and the mind, between the spirit and the self. Mm. So the gut feeling that I get is a warning saying, hey, this is what you need to do, man. And I wasn't, Or what you're about to do isn't going right. to integrate well with your yeah. current values, spirituality, right. et cetera. So yeah. you, you kind of knew it wasn't you. You're like, I, I don't want to be this person. Right. But then you'd do it anyways, and then you'd look back and be like, who am I? Or, you know, I say I'm this person, and then I do this. So I, I can understand that. Yeah. Did your, fr you, did your friends and family, were they, do you think, going to produce guilt or shame? Or was this pretty internal? 
this was internal. My friends and my family were proud of me for what I was doing on the outside, mm -hmm. but nobody was inside with me, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I, and I'm, that had a lot to do with my spoiled relationship with my wife. She's a great person. You know, we still talk to this day. We're, we're good friends, but nobody knew what was going on on the inside. And I did not know how to express it. Mm -hmm. I did not know how to express it. Um, so I suppressed it and I covered it up and I, you know, I got out of my mind, uh, every day. I, sm I smoked weed almost every day from the time I was 10 years old. Like when I first caught my sisters doing it and they made me do it. So I wouldn't tell on them. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. Oh my, he wow. did it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At gunpoint. <laughs> so. Yeah. So. I knew. I, you know. I learned how to cope with my problems at a young age, man. Uh, getting kicked out of school, getting in fights, getting picked on, moving from place to place, being the new guy, always feeling weird and trying to fit in, trying to meet people. You know, unable to express myself dealing with my mom and, and her friends and drinking and partying and she let me drink with her and her friends when I was like 12 13 years old man I, so I learned how to I learned how to get out of myself right I learned how to just blank everything out and that numb became comfortable so any problem that I had that's how I dealt with it so those problems just kept stacking up and stacking up and stacking up led to you know me cheating on my wife me to get into a divorce and then like her moving away and that guilt and pain from what I had done at one point no amount of drugs or alcohol could fix that really and I yeah. all I wanted to do was die and I tried yeah. right I had I had an attempt and I tried my daughter uh, and you know my daughters they they moved out of state with their mom I couldn't see them uh, it was brutal it's brutal, but no amount of drugs could fix that. It was, yeah, it was a, it was a tough time, man. You know, that was in, uh, in all through the 2000s, pretty much. You know, the later 2000s, from like five on up. So about how old were you? Let's see, uh, I was, so 26, 28 when we split up, 29. In my, in my early 30s. Like, right, so that should be, like, the funnest time of my life, man. And I was still doing it. I was still fishing. I was still, like, on the outside doing these things. But on the inside, I was destroyed, man. My house was dirty. It was cluttered. It was it was unbearable to live in, and I just did not want to live in it anymore. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out, and I didn't know how to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Were you thinking at this point, you know, a lot of my problems are due to my uh, excessive drug and or alcohol abuse, I should try to curb this? Or what are your thoughts around your drug and alcohol use? <laughs> Absolutely not. Really? My drugs mm -hmm. and alcohol were certainly not the problem, and because uh, I didn't have a problem. Really? Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. So you had shame around your use? I had shame if... around my behavior. Oh, okay. Not okay. my use. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. And yeah. you did not see your behavior as a product of use. No, I didn't make the hmm. connection, man. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess I could be a slow learner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's the name of the game in some ways at times. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So, moving on from that, 
you know, commercial fishing all my life and just completely unstable and no amount of money could make that stable. No amount of money. And, and I made some really, really good money. And I've, you know, I've started over more times than I can count, man. I've lost everything and it's just like, it's whatever. And I just basically took things for granted. Took things for granted. Um, didn't think about the consequences. I would think about tomorrow and I would shut down. You know, they say live in the moment, live today. Well, that's very true. However, there has to be a goal. There has to be some sort of future. I could not see that future. I could not see past right now. And and often I spent most of my time looking back and, and feeling that guilt and shame for for everything that had happened, like all the people I hurt, man, those relationships. I have good relationships now. People people love me now. They love me then, but I couldn't see it and I took it for granted. Mm -hmm. So, um, and you probably didn't do a whole lot of loving back. Not it was and superficial. today. That's yeah. that that occurs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Yeah, man, I love my life. I love my people. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. So many miracles happen to me every day. I mean, I've literally lost count. At one point, I was counting them. <laughs> I can't count them anymore. I, I don't even know where to begin. In the, in the, there's double, triple digits. Like wow. every day, something really cool happens. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just a, it's a manifestation of positive energy and positive thought. Mm -hmm. You know, I really, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy today. I have all this awareness. It was a gift given to me. You know, the serenity I'll save my life. Absolutely, the people here were just amazing, man. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't even care why. Right. I'm not going to try to figure that out. Yeah. But I just appreciate it. So. You have this awareness today. Mm -hmm. What we were just discussing, you were pretty unaware that oh, you absolutely. you had a problem. When do you when when do we get to you start? When do you start <laughs> being like, okay, maybe, maybe my problems are mostly stemming from my excessive drug and or alcohol abuse? Well, it's when these guys here at the house pounded it into me. Really? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, two thousand. Yeah, that was uh, uh, two thousand thirteen. So, leading up to my my check in. Right for residential uh, in 2013. It was uh, s September 28th, uh, 2013, is when I, when I checked in. So I um, I was fishing out west, and uh, I was pretty much I was fishing cod and crab and salmon. Well, my my real mother lived down in Washington, or in or, excuse me, Oregon, and. I got a call from my dad saying, hey, your mom's not doing all that well. You need to get down there. So. Because of mostly drinking? Well, she had a long life of drinking and, you know, taking pills and whatnot, but she had quit everything about 10, 15 years prior huh. to her okay. death. Yeah. <clears throat> so I get, I get a call, and my dad doesn't ever, he's, he's John Wayne, right? But he's like, you really need to get down there. And that was real. Um, so I bounced down and went to the hospital down there. She was in North Powder. And she was on her, you know, we're getting ready to take her to my sister's house for hospice. So um, 
she, uh, so she was pretty much out of it. <clears throat> I have tons of family down there, you know. I'm, I'm the youngest of nine, by the way. There's tons of nieces and nephews and cousins and aunts and uncles. Just, just the whole hospital was flooded with my family. And uh, she didn't know any of them. She didn't know any of them. I seen her. <clears throat> I walked in. I was like, hey, Mom. And her eyes opened. She looked at me. She says, hi, son. Yeah. <clears throat> that uh, was pretty powerful. Very powerful. Uh, we had we had some good conversations and um, it was nice because I hadn't seen her for a couple of years. I was up here fishing. And I was pretty resentful for everything, and so I avoided her. But uh, we had a couple of really good talks, and she passed away. So two weeks after that, I came back up here and jumped on the boat. And, and that's another thing, too, being a workaholic, mm -hmm. to try to get rid of the reality that we, you know, our responsibilities as far as to, you know, to our children and our families and stuff. Yes, work is good and it's part of the responsibility is to provide, but at some point when, you know, I can't be there physically, then that that's an issue, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. So because I couldn't be there physically, I, you know, for the rest of my family, and I, I still haven't, I haven't even buried her yet. You know, I was like seven, eight, eight years ago or whatever. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, it's interesting you say that because I think work holds an interesting place in, uh, especially I think in America. Yeah. You know, I mean, we do, we do. Obviously, we all, to some extent, really do need to work, right? I mean, we have to provide for our basic needs, you yeah. know, in the most literal sense. However, at once you've provided, like let's say you're working to provide for yourself and your family, once you've reached a certain point, anything after that really is, I mean, selfish in the most basic sense. I mean, it's to serve your own desires and your own goals. And I think obviously there's times that it's mixed with some, you know, areas of selflessness and that you want to provide a little bit more. But when your family is saying like, we've had, we have enough. And it is pretty clear, you know, from all these basic markers of food and transportation, et cetera, that you've provided enough and you continue to just like dedicate your entire being to work. You know, I think that the, that the discussion of, like, is this work, like, becoming remarkably selfish? Well, that's a discussion that probably needs to happen, you know? But I think that's a uh, weird discussion to have It's a very difficult conversation. Here. I agree with that because work is a very, like, you're going to get a thumbs-up kind of cop-out almost. You know Always. what I mean? Got like, to work. Like, yeah, yeah hey, going to work. Yeah. I got to provide, you know? And it's a very easy, more or less, re it's a very good reason <laughs> Not to be somewhere. When was the last time right. someone's like, what have you been up to? Oh, dude, I've been working so much. And someone was like, ugh, that's jerk. Yeah. <laughs> you what selfish? Jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Selfish <laughs> jerk, you know? You don't hear yeah. that. You never no. take me out for coffee. You're always working. <laughs> yeah, right? Right. Yeah, you make too much money. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Which is kind of, you know, it's... It seems backwards to me. Mm. You know, and it is like... Not natural. It, it is, and like... It, 
and I catch a lot of flack for that sometimes. My, but, like, it's one of those things where, like, time is more or less your currency. Right. You know what I mean? You're gonna, like, spending that time with your family is honestly gonna be way more valuable mm. than it is spending all yeah. your time on that boat. Because, like you said, like, you've had and you've lost and you've had and you've lost. But, you know, the most you've ever really had is probably that time with your family, like, with your mom, those last moments are probably the most valuable assets that you've ever really acquired in your life. Or am I wrong there? No, that's, bro, you nailed it, man. That's, uh, that's 100%. But, you know, those are the things that I, I just, just I simply wasn't aware of. Mm-hmm. Right. And you I know? think America, not blaming America, but I'm saying I think where work holds in this culture, yeah. you're going to be, you better be thinking pretty dang hard to ever really try to, because I think that that idea just opposes so much of what our culture says, right. you know. I mean, mm-hmm. work is, like, you listen to any kind of news thing, it's like, America is back to work. Right. And obviously, unemployment sucks. We don't want to be unemployed, but right. it's like, it's yeah. the person it's working balanced. 60 to 80 hours is going to receive bigger thumbs up than the person working 25 hours mm-hmm. a week right. in America, you know. Definitely. We're really... Uh, man, I love. I'm off topic again, but here this is a funny thing. I read actually. I read this Did on you take a, a class. About I, this? No, no, I read this. I read this in a Jimmy John's, oh, which is okay. like a sandwich place. Okay, yeah, it's right. like down in uh, down in Lower Forty Eight, especially. Yeah, Freaky Fresh, by the way. I right. think it was Badass. at a Jimmy John's, and it said something along the lines of, and really, dude, maybe I read this in like some chain email. I don't know, but it was like this guy in Cuba or something, and he's like, he gets up, he. Goes fishing, catches one fish, goes home, takes a nap, uh, then uh, kind of does it again. And somebody comes up to him and says, "You know, if you if you worked all day, you know, you caught you know four fish a day, and then you uh, you saved up and you bought like three more boats, then uh, and you could be in the place where you could uh, pretty much uh, you could live a a totally different life, you know." And he's like, "Well, what would I do?" And he goes. Well, man, I imagine you could probably get up, you could, you know, like, go fishing for a little bit, you know, catch a fish, come back, take a nap. And he's like... (laughs) That's what I do. That's what I'm doing, you know? (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. So it's like... Yeah, anyway, that was uh, an interesting little uh, Jimmy John's poster. <laughs> People are so helpful. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of like the the opposite of crazy is still crazy. I mean, right. you could spend all your time with your family, never go to work, never provide, and there you go. You have the, you know, the opposite right. problem where somebody has to work. So it, it's a lot of it's about balance, but that's one of the hardest things is finding balance. Unique balance, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, which is an impossible when I'm loaded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they, those, uh, see, all these things that make sense to me now, you know, I've been in recovery for, since 2013, uh, um, October 1st, um, I've been in recovery, I've been around it, I've been getting information, you know, I had a, um, a relapse uh, a little over a year ago on Suboxone, the wonder drug that uh, is supposed to be helping so many people over their addiction, but it's just, in my opinion, it's created a new addiction and all the things that come along with it. Um, However, I'm not a professional, and that's just my opinion, Uh, but I choose to be abstinent. Mm -hmm. So, um, getting back to the topic, uh, 
I was uh, I was down there. My mom passed away, and I came came back up here almost like immediately within a couple of weeks to to deal with it. And I called my skipper. He's like, "Well, man, you need some more time." And I was, no, I, I I really need to get back up here. So I came up, and you know, we fished. I had a, I had a super good job, and uh, the people that I worked with were were great. It was a nice family thing, but it's kind of weird to me because they were normal, right? Mm -hmm. Or normal quotations, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so I came up and started working and, you know, I had a, uh, a good job, a good time with the people I was with and made tons and tons of money. That run was so good. Tons of money. Almost made a hundred grand in three months. And that's cash money. I'm talking cash money. Stacks of hundred dollar bills. Well... I decided that I was going to, because I deserved it, that at the end of the season that I was going to, you know, go up and have a few drinks and party. And I, had, I, I, I never partied when I was working on the boat. Really? When I was on the boat, I didn't party. I smoked pot. Sure. Mm -hmm. Right? I didn't drink. I didn't do any kind of hard drugs whatsoever uh, because, you know. You got to survive. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I figured, well, hey, man, I deserve it. I just kicked ass fishing. I you know, working 20 hours a day for three months straight, and I deserve this. So I tried, you know, had a couple drinks, had some food, uh, visited with everyone, um, and we were flying out, or not flying out, we were getting ready to take the boat to Kodiak, and I was going home, uh, back down, I was staying down in Portland, I was going back down to Portland, and I had all this money, and I sent money to my family, sent, you know, and I just I, I sent out tons of money to my family. Um, so I was feeling pretty good, you know, I was feeling very, very righteous. Well, there was an incident when I was out fishing, I had a vehicle there, got broken into, and, you know, some important things got taken from me, some, like, personal things that were, you know, of sentimental value, and, you know, and really, it, the, the price value, the monetary value was nothing. However... I had a great idea that I was going to go get my stuff back and I was going to handle it, you know, because it was, that was the way it is. Hey, this is the Wild West. So, man, I totally, I proceeded to get into a situation uh, that I deeply regret that um, I ended up going to prison for. Um, that was a pretty tough, a pretty tough next day. <clears throat> Excuse me. Woke up, went to work as usual. Didn't really think anything was wrong. I had a confrontation with this guy the night before, and uh, well, the troopers got involved. So we're sitting there working, and here comes up some troopers and pull us in to question us about it, and end up getting arrested, having to go to jail. I've never had, you know, I've got some driving stuff, right? But uh, nothing like this. So, but I know what to do because I've seen it on TV. And my mother instilled it from birth. You never tell. You, you never talk. shut up and you get a lawyer. shut up and get a lawyer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I lawyered up. And because I lawyered up, they told me, the troopers told me, well, I know this is a lot of bullshit because we heard it, we interviewed the other guy, and it just sounds stupid. So we need you to tell us what happened, and we need you to talk. And if you don't, 
we're going to throw some pretty serious charges on you. And I just looked at him. I said, well, I would like a lawyer. I've got nothing to say. And next thing you know, these guys hit me with a kidnapping charge and like six other charges. And uh, I was like, all right, well, it's, that's, that's not, I didn't kidnap anybody. That's not going to stick, you know. So I bailed out. The judge gave me a bail and third party to my parents' house in, here in Kenai. And so I bailed out. I was in for like 15, 16 days. And uh, I go home, and now I'm on bail. And if you look on court view, the, the the charges they ended up dropping all the charges, right? So I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. And then, and then they re-indicted me on them. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> and I get a I get a public defender like out in Dillingham, and I'm trying to call, I can never get a hold of them. And, you know what? I'm just gonna get a lawyer. So I called a lawyer locally here. I ended up talking to him. He's like, hey, man, don't trip. I got you. Uh, so I started talking with this lawyer and explained everything to him. And I was honest with him as, as much as I, as, you know, as much as I could. And, mm -hmm. and everything that that uh, was relevant, you know, it was, it was, I was feeling pretty good. I was like, man, this stuff isn't going to stick. So uh, we... Uh, we started proceeding from there. Um, well, this process lasted two and a half years. Okay, so the two and a half years of getting bailed out and then going to court—that was the most miserable time of my life because I was anticipating that other shooter drop at any moment. I was going to prison, and I don't care if it was ten days or whatever. I was scared to death. I didn't want to go to jail for one day. I was scared to death. I had anxiety attacks where it felt like I was chained to a brick on the bottom of the ocean is what it felt like. That's the best way to describe it. I had those happening every day. Um, you know, I had a safe place to stay. I had, you know, as much freedom as, as you know, my dad would allow because I was on third party. <laughs> However, that changed after a year. They let me just, just out on bail. They disconnected the third party because I was a good boy and I had to work. So, yeah. but I started to drink quite a bit. Okay. I started to drink quite a bit. Uh, you know, I still had a bunch of money left. And, you know, started partying well, you know that anxiety was pretty bad oh here man try these what are these oh those are any bars mm -hmm. oh yeah what do they do well you know just try one bam boom okay i love that oh yeah let's have bloody mary on top of that yeah you know three days later wake up naked in my bed looking like teen wolf yeah Took the anxiety away, bro. I tell you. <clears throat> yeah, man. In your existence for the next week. <laughs> yeah, it took yeah. a lot of days. Away. <laughs> mm -hmm. you go, go over to my buddy's house like two weeks later, and my shoes are there. I mean, have those get here? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so, man. So I found I found booze, man. I found booze. I found booze to be uh, to be my friend. And honestly, I hate the taste of alcohol. It just 
I hate the taste of alcohol. <coughs> I went as far as to have my gallbladder removed because my gallbladder doesn't like booze either. So I had it removed. And then I cured the hangover. Hmm. Crazy, huh? Mm-hmm. The lengths we'd go to. <laughs> so, so yeah, man, I didn't realize I had a problem at all. And, you know, dealing with, dealing with my problem with alcohol and drugs. No problem. Right. I, I had a lot of problems. Right. <coughs> alcohol and drugs weren't the problem, though, <clears throat> at this point. So this two years, man, and, and I try to be responsible still. Okay, I'm, I'm going to clean up. I got my act shit. I got my shit back together. Yeah, I'm facing all these charges. Uh, I got a lawyer. Okay, well, I, I'll go to work. Man, I, I, had a, I had a really good job here in town. I ended up completely messing that up. I started becoming dependent on, on, on booze. Sure. Right? Like, yeah. it wasn't just something I was using. Now I was I was abusing it. I, you know, it was I was dependent on it. Yeah. You know, I'd still show up work to work for everyone else, but I would do that because you know I had to take a couple shots and smoke some weed for for everyone got there. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, and, went, and then went out through the day. Well, you know, I ended up losing that job. Ended up getting getting shit canned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I ended up. I ended up, I was to the point, man, where I would <clears throat> go to the liquor store, I'd buy a little pint, right? Get out in the truck, before I even started to have my seatbelt, I'd have a cap off and it'd be gone. Well, sh- I need more. So I'd run to another liquor store and I'd buy a fifth. I'd go home, I'd drink half of it fast and uh, put on some Netflix or put on play some zombies or something, you know, and, uh, and I'd pass out, right? Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd wake up or come to, uh, my bottle would be laying on the bed next to me under the pillow because, you know, my dad would come in and check on me and if he'd seen a bottle laying on. So I at least had that. I was, I was able to hide that shit real well. So I'd wake up and I'd drink that and then I'd bounce off to the liquor store and I'd get another one. And that was a wash, rinse, repeat a daily thing for me in in the last year of this. So from 2012 to 2013, December to, to uh, September, that's what I was doing. And I was still commercial fishing in the, in the inlet. Um, and I, w- I wouldn't drink when I was out there, but I wanted nothing more to get back home. Like we'd go out there and I'd fish all day. You know, I was like, okay, we need to get home, we need to get home, we need to get home. I, you know, I, I, I need this at, at this point. I need this. So that fishing season was just a horrible mess. You know, in my mind, it was like, oh, this is great. I'm responsible. I got a job. You know, now I'm getting to the point where, okay, I, I earned this. So I, I don't, because uh, I was thinking, I'm like, yeah, I have a problem at, at this point in the last year. And I was like, well, oh, no. especially with every single day, wash, rinse, repeat, you're starting to notice, like, yeah. maybe there's, maybe I do have a problem. Yeah. Right. But to, to especially because you yeah. lost your job, which was probably one of the first times oh. where work was something that was an issue. Yeah. Yeah. It, because uh... before you're, you were working hard and playing hard and right. now you're playing so hard that it was yeah. infringing on your ability to, to work hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was there was no balance, man. It was all the way, psh, just way down here, and is mm-hmm. where I was. And mm-hmm. the uh, whole the whole idea of 
you know, justifying what I'm doing by, by working, um, just a sick delusion. You know, I see that now, and I didn't see it then. Right. So it was, it was okay. Status quo, let's, you know, put on the rain gear, go out fishing, come back in, deliver the catch, go eat a steak and drink a fifth of vodka, right? Trying to, trying to get, find that normalcy again that I had my, my, you know, prior 20 years, you know, and still forget about that other shoe that wanted to fall on me, you know, the state of Alaska. It's a pretty big shoe, you know. So in, um, in August 2012, you know, I had my daughter come over for the summer from Kodiak and visit me and she I remember her walking into my room and I was passed out and I woke up and she has these garbage bags she went around and found every single bottle that I had stashed and that I threw like I thought I threw them all away for real like there's nothing that there's no evidence against me right I cleaned up the crime scene mm -hmm. right and I'm real thorough and somehow she walked in with two black garbage bags full of red cap vodkas, full. <clears throat> and she was disappointed in me. A little a little girl, you know, not even a teenager yet, disappointed in her dad. That's a big word. Mm -hmm. Even, I mean, that's a big word. Uh, so she went back to Kodiak and I was there, uh, completely felt alone. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm back to that point where I don't want to be here. I, I don't deserve to be here. Um, but how am I going to do it? You know, I'm, I'm a coward. I don't want to stick a gun in my mouth. You know, uh, I don't want to um, feel pain. Hey, I got an idea. Booze is, that's cool. I know you drink enough of it and you'll, you'll you'll pass out, but if you really drink enough of it, you'll pass out and not wake up. So that was what I did, man. Um, and this is where the story gets kind of kind of hard to talk about. I stole my dad's credit card, stole his keys, because at this point he had hidden everything from me, like hidden my truck from me. It was like total thumb on me, like you're not going anywhere. And. Uh, I had an opportunity, man. So I stole this credit card, stole his keys, went to the liquor store, went to someone's house that I just met. I didn't bring my cell phone. I left all that stuff at home. And I drank for three days. I drank vodka. I drank chug, chug, chug till the fifth was gone. I drank an entire fifth in one chug. I mean, it was, it was a few, several bubbles in it. You know, I had to breathe. Right, but I drank the entire fifth, and I, and I did that for three days. I did that for three days, and on the third day, I woke up, and I, I, I looked up, and there was a fifth sitting there about a third of the way full, and I went to grab it, and I just didn't have any motor skills, right? And uh, I knocked it over, and I remember it spilling all over me in the bed. I'm like, son of a bitch. And I just, uh, man, I just, I just wanted to suck it out of the fabric. <laughs> Um, and then something amazing happened. So I, I'm the youngest of nine. I mentioned that earlier. I have a sister that lives in Nevada, and I haven't seen her in like 10 years.
I have a sister that lived in Kodiak. I haven't seen her in like two years. Well, there's a knock on the door, and the people was like, "Hey, Lloyd, man, there's you got some people here." I'm like, what are you talking about? And uh, and walks my sisters out of the blue, absolutely out of the blue. I thought I thought I was dreaming, and man, I was laying in the bed, covered in spilt vodka, probably some urine. <laughs> I'd imagine. Uh, Naked, and <laughs> walks by two older sisters and pulls me out of the bed, man. Um, throws some clothes on me. It weren't mine, I didn't know where mine were. Mm -hmm. And hauled me out to the hospital. And uh, I get up to the hospital. And <clears throat> First of all, they were completely amazed. They were astounded that I was still here. Um, they, of course, checked my blood alcohol level. I was at and a you point. had to have just looked yeah. like you were near death. Because you've been yeah. chugging liquor for three days straight. Yeah. I mean, you had to have very little color, just thin or fat, one or the other. I don't Super know. Super scrawny. Yeah. Yeah. My blood alcohol was 0.46, man. <sighs> and that was after being passed out all night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I would have hit that bottle, if that bottle didn't spill, I would not be here right now, mm -hmm. or at least I don't believe I'd be here right now. But something has a better plan for me because it saved my life. Mm -hmm. You know. So that was the that was the very first miracle I experienced, that truly ex experienced, and I still I still ponder on on that today, pretty much every day. I just I don't even know how it happened. You know, my dad was very persistent. He was calling around, and somehow he got a number to somebody that said, well, I'd know where he might be. But to have my sisters out of the blue just coming from out of state and out of town was just, my mind was blown. <coughs> so here's what happened. So then he wants a urine sample, and I couldn't even really do that. My, my nephew was there, he had helped me. And uh, my urine was the same color as coffee. My kidneys were shutting down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, wow. well, they, uh, the emergency room, I was at the emergency room. Well, um, you know, the doctor even said, well, he's got enough booze in his system to get every one of us in this, in this room right here toasted. And they were just astounded, astounded that I was, you know, talking and, like, functioning. And I was like, man, I got this. I've been doing this for a couple of years. You know, mm -hmm. not to that extreme, of course, but you know, I had a pretty good tolerance. So I get sent home, and so my sisters are there, my dad's there, my stepmom's there. It's summertime. Uh, I went through detox for nine days. Uh, cold turkey. I was shaking. At your dad's house. At my dad's house. Wow. They wouldn't let it's me dangerous. go. Yeah, they wouldn't let me go anywhere. They didn't know, man. My dad's 83 years old. He was born in the 30s, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> he was like, why can't you just stop? <laughs> right, right. Okay. Um, so I spent nine days awake because I knew if I fell asleep, I would die. <clears throat> nine days, I stayed awake. And, and I didn't do that on my own power. Something kept me awake. I was hallucinating. 
I had vertigo. I'd be laying there watching TV, and all of a sudden the TV and the whole wall would flip up on the side, and I'd blink it out at first, but after a while blinking it out, it just stayed. Uh, my throat swelled up. I couldn't eat anything. I couldn't eat anything, but I knew if I didn't at least have fluid, I would die, you know, wow. the rule of three. So I forced, I had to force, like, Gatorade. I drink lots of, you know, like, sports drinks to kind of, get stuff going yeah, yeah. <coughs> but it was hard to swallow um, you know I smoked cigarettes and it just had this weird it's like flavor of death I couldn't sit still you know, trying to pour a cup of coffee oh I get so I'd get so uh, so ticked off I'd get the coffee cup I'd get the the, the coffee pot and I'd be over the top of it trying to pour it I'd burn the crap out of my hand and I I'd always end up with about an inch of coffee in the cup because everything else would just splash out. It was crazy. <clears throat> it was absolutely crazy, man. Because, uh, see, about a month and a half prior to this, I had a surgery. I had a hernia that they'd fixed. So on the, on the ninth day, I have to go into the doctors and do a follow-up and see how the surgery, you know, things going up. And I'm sitting there, and my, my pulse is racing. My blood pressure is skyrocketing. I'm sitting there, and I'm just yellow started turning yellow and sweating and the doctor came in and was like oh my god you don't want you don't want a doctor to say anything like that yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah i just I <clears throat> just looked at him i was like well, i don't feel good and he called over here to the hospital and said he came back and said okay they're expecting you you need to go right now he didn't even see me. <laughs> he said, you go to the hospital right now, or they're going to come and get you right now. So I came up to the hospital, went to the emergency room. My eyes were yellow. My skin was yellow. My body was shutting down. My liver was shutting down. Yeah, my kidneys were shutting yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm laying there running all kinds of tests. They don't, you know, they're doing, they're, I, I have like six people on me, man. And I'm like, I'm, I've got these like hallucinations going on. Like I'm hearing people in the other room and, you know, people that I know, and you know, maybe they were there, maybe they weren't. I don't know, but in my mind, they were really there. I, I started going through these hallucinations really bad. Well, they came in and said, "Well, we know what's wrong with you. You got hepatitis B, <clears throat> and you have hepatitis C, and your liver's shutting down, and your kidneys are shutting down. We're going to admit you, but we can't do anything for you. There's nothing. There's nothing that we can do." And we talked about liver transplants. <clears throat> and liver transplants for me at that time was not an option. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a criteria, and I did not meet that criteria. Mm -hmm. So they put me in a room to observe me. And, uh, man, that's when, that's when it got real for me. I mean, they just told you, like, you're going to die. Yeah. Or sorry. Yeah. Right. Wow. Right. So uh, I'm sitting up in the room, and at this point I, I can't even see. Uh, I can't write, but I wanted to write my kids' letters. You know, I didn't want to die. Uh, it, it got real. It got real right there. You know, I was trying to write letters, and it was just scribbles, man. And I, and I could barely see the scribbles. Right? You know, I said, hey, you write this for me. And, uh, well, she, she, I don't know what happened. I was in and, in and out, man. I was, I've been up for nine days detoxing on alcohol. Um, 
you know, and being told, well, there's nothing we can do for you for the detox. They just sent me home from the hospital. Nothing we can do for you. And then, and then all, everything's shutting down, nothing we can do for you. I bet, so I'm doing this, okay, by myself. You know, it was the most alone I ever felt. But I told myself, I was like, man, I'm not gonna die. I don't wanna die. I was confused. I wanted to, and then I didn't want to. Uh, that got real. When I thought of my daughter, my sons, my dad, my brothers and sisters and family and friends, and I said I didn't want. So I'm in the hospital, and, and I mean, honestly, bro, to this day, I can't tell you how long I was in there. It could have been a day, it could have been a week, I, I don't know. I was in there the whole time, having these wild hallucinations. At one point, I jumped off the bed, ripped the IV out of my arm, I'm running naked down the, <laughs> down the corridor of the hospital, thinking that I was dead, and and I was a ghost of some sort, and I was just freaking out, man. I'm booking in the middle of the night, my ass hanging out. There's a nurse down at the end of the deal. I'm like, what, really? And I go up and I grab her and I was like, you real? Are you real? I'm real, I'm alive, you're? And I was so excited. And she's like, please sir, come with me. <laughs> Escorted me back into the room. And uh, man, I kept, I kept having these hallucinations, man. There was people in my room. And, they were trying to get me to go with them, and they were like, they would just fly out the window and disappear out the window. And, you know, and nurses and doctors would come in and, and check on me, and, you know, they would fly out the window. And, you know, and as soon as they left, they'd come back in and sit there and look at me and ask me to go with them. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. I got to get out of here. So I kept trying to leave the hospital. And it ended up with a couple of security guards and a needle for full authority. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they put my ass out, man. Um, but they saved my life, you know. I, I ended up leaving the hospital, you know, and I don't know when it was, I don't know, and I don't even really care at this point. Mm -hmm. But I left the hospital and went home. And I had these diseases that I had and my my uh, beginning of my second chance, uh, which I didn't realize it at the time. But I went home and uh, all my family got together and, hey man, let's check out the Serenity House. My dad called. He loves me, he cares about me. So he, he goes the extra hundred miles for me all the time. You know, I love that dude. Um, so he gets hold of Serenity House, and I come up here, and I can't, I, can't, I can't fill out the paperwork, man. I couldn't hold the pen. I barely see the paper. And, uh, yeah, so um, I met Sherry up here at the Serenity House, and I was pretty uh, much debilitated by my, my alcohol use. I had a hard time seeing it. My family actually had to like, I had to like be carried on their, on their, you know, over their shoulders, one arm over each shoulder while they walked me up in here. <clears throat> I was a complete wreck. And I walked into the, I remember like in and out, I walked into the office and I couldn't fill out the paperwork. You know, my family helped fill out the paperwork and, um, you know, I got scheduled to go into residential treatment. You know, I had this crime of mine pending and they were able to accept me into the house. I fit the criteria. Um, 
and I, I'm pretty sure they made an exception for me. Sure. So, uh, however, I had I had to wait like a couple of days. I think it was like three days. So I went back home, and at this point, I'd already gone over over that dangerous hump of detoxing off of alcohol, which me and my family were completely unaware of it. We, we didn't know anything about that mm -hmm. and how dangerous that is. So, uh, now you're feeling somewhat okay. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling somewhat okay to the point where you might like, even have a little bit of hope or not quite. So hope is a belief. And the only thing that I believed in was that, uh, I was going to die. I still really? at this point thought that. Oh, yeah. I was going to die. Mm -hmm. um, even though I, you know, I made it through that, that initial blow from, you know, the 4.6 blood alcohol level, uh, you know, black urine, yellow face, yellow eyes, and, you know, my color started coming back. But because of what I had done to my body, uh, the, the damage, the poison that I put in, the damage that was done, I, I know the body heals itself over time, but it was at that point where it was so bad at, in such a short time that I, I really, man, I, I had the belief that it wasn't gonna heal itself, honestly. And when we came into the treatment and got set up for the treatment, um, I didn't know what to believe about that. I didn't know what kind of hope that I had. Um, I wanted to live and I knew that and, I, and because of that, in that little bit of the beginning there, I figured, <clears throat> you know, well, if I, if I make it through this, I'll be able to uh, make my family proud of me. And now that's, that's the beginning up until I went to the Serenity House. So I went through all of that, right? And the night before I go to the Serenity House, I'm looking through my drawer and I find two Zanny bars. And I felt so excited because of the prior two weeks of the hell that I went through. And even though I'd gotten over that hump, that that excitement that I felt is was almost is almost indescribable. Well, it is indescribable, so I'm not going to try. I took them things. I took them, and I was like, "Wow, man, I can sleep and be comfortable." And I uh, had to get up really early the next morning, pack my bag, and and. Uh, come up here to the intake office and they put me in residential <clears throat> so I got to the house I think it was on Wednesday uh, the person that does step studies Mr. O'Brien was there doing step study I walk into a room full of people with these books in front of them and just felt really like man maybe I should go <laughs> this is this is a little, a little awkward. Mm -hmm. uh, however, the, the people, the staff that was working there, um, man, they, they made me feel comfortable getting in there, but super uncomfortable opening up, man. Like they, they did some magic, you know, because uh, I was, you couldn't approach me. You know, I mean, physically, I, I, I couldn't, couldn't really handle it, you know. My, my mentally, I couldn't really comprehend things. It was 
probably borderline wet brain is what they call it, you know, from drinking. Uh, yeah, I was shaking so bad, so bad. I had a hard time walking. My, I feel the pain in my liver. And, you know, these, these guys uh, here at the Serenity House, uh, they just did a miracle on me, man. They, they, they pushed me, they pushed me and pushed me until I was just about to break. And right, right at that breaking point, you know, I, I just became honest because that's, that's how they were breaking me. You know, they, they weren't doing, they weren't doing anything to cause harm, but they were getting me to a point in my mind where I could be open. So I was, you know, I made a decision, like a, the first real decision. Okay, well, it isn't about trust. It's about just, just doing it. So I'm going to be open-minded. Um, and maybe I'll live through this. And maybe I'll be able to honor that debt that I have to my family, to, you know, my hostages. Right? So <clears throat> I became open-minded. And all of a sudden, the the things that, that you know that the, the the counselors were talking to me about weren't they weren't attacking me. You know they were attacking my disease, and <laughs> forcing that honesty out of me. Holy cow! Some of those counselors are just so whoo <laughs> blunt. <laughs> you know, yeah. wow, so blunt. Uh, but I know it comes from a good place. So this was, was this uh, the first time that you were like, my drug and alcohol use mm. is a problem, and it's been causing a lot of problems for a lot of years. Yeah. Yeah, I, I started getting these. So it's about awareness, right? So the whole, the whole idea of, of, of substance abuse and, and the treatment for it, because you can't stop the alcoholic or the addict from their behaviors unless they're aware of why they do them. You could tell an alcoholic and an addict to stop using or stop drinking and they'll look at you like you're an alien. But if you explain the reasons why people do this in a general way and they, myself, are able to attached to that and recognize it for myself. Now I just did that for myself. Here's a little bit of self-esteem back because I did something. But here's the awareness, here's the knowledge that I got from that. Okay, yes, I see that. I see why I do that now. Okay, so right on. How can I change it? Oh, well, and they tell you. <laughs> they give you examples. I've been sitting in groups and listening to other people and like really seeing how we all relate and how we're all connected, right? And we, I, you know, I was able to see that, and I was able to be open-minded, you know, to to their perspectives and and relate to them and not try to pick it apart or be critical or I don't fit in with these people because man, these are my people, right? I fit in. I, I am one of these people, so I accepted that. You know, honest, open-mindedness, willingness, the three essentials, right? Um, that's what they taught me. And they taught me that right out of the gate, man, within the first couple of days.
this is these are the three essentials. You know, the principles, right? <clears throat> so, yeah, you know that that overwhelming feeling that my integrity, because if we're integral or if we're not, we always have that in us. Uh, if we choose to pay attention to it or not, is the is the thing, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so that that integrity <clears throat> uh, started to feel right because I was I was doing what I was supposed to do because I mean this is my belief uh, the the God-given energy that we possess um, absolutely can be taken away at any time it's a gift uh, our morals right that's that's what that energy possesses um, and our values the things that I care about you know um, and then my beliefs of course when I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and I know that it, because I feel it. I mean, it's it's there. I feel it. And so, getting into getting into the program, getting into the recovery, talking to all these people in the groups, talking to the counselors, being aware of all these things, you know, I, I'm really able to start to become objective and look at what I was doing, right, and uh, start to come up with definitions of things that I was just confusing or I overlooked or took for granted, you know, like integrity, you know. Um, what, what is your, your, you mentioned <clears throat> you now have a different definition for integrity or, or one that you found, uh, what is it? Right. Well, it's, so I just kind of explained it a little bit, however, mm -hmm. so my morals, mm -hmm. which are, I believe, are, are God-given, mm -hmm. uh, right from wrong, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, the things that I value, you know, uh, family, friends, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Pisces, so I'm kind of a free spirit, you know, uh, uh, you know, I love to have a, have a good time, joke around, um, you know, so I, I value that, mm -hmm. I value activities, I, you know, there's, I can go on and on about the values, but it's the morals, right from wrong, it's the values, things I love, mm -hmm. and then it's my beliefs. And beliefs are so important because I believe in manifestation, right? Mm -hmm. Now I do. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so all those three things working together, they're integrated mm -hmm. into my system. So, myself, my ego, my mind, and my spirit, life's energy that dwells in my soul, are connected. There is a pathway, a direct pathway, mm -hmm. that's connected. And when that direct pathway gets my integrity gets challenged that direct pathway uh, fills it and that's mm -hmm. a red flag for me now and that's what I use to this day um, if something feels wrong now I have to kind of pick it apart and see you know what the consequences can be and a consequence is just a just a reaction to an action it it's usually in a negative content but mm -hmm. There's good consequences and bad consequences. It's all about that choice. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> uh, now, this day, I believe in uh, being a man of consequence. And so I follow that integrity. I follow that, that feeling that I have, and I pay very close attention to it. Mm -hmm. So when I was in the house, that started to rebuild itself. Now, pain, fear, guilt shame, anger, uh, and anger is just the secondary to all that, right? Well, how am I going to deal with this 
feeling that I know how to feel, I'm gonna get angry about it. Yeah. Right? Defense. Defense. Reptilian, right? So getting that little bit of uh, integrity, rebuilding it, and, you know, from a, a foundation of, like, this love that these people had for me, um, that's what it was built on, man. It was rebuilt with that love and that kindness and, and all that information that they made me aware of. And I, and I took it and I processed it and I put in the work, man. I really put in the work because, you know, taking for granted my life was something that seemed to come just easy, right? Um, rebuilding my life and living with integrity and being accountable is one of the hardest things I, I've ever done. Um, but because it is, and because of the results that I have today, I know it's the right way. Uh, nothing that's easy to me um, is, well, I don't want to say it's, it's not the right way, but it's not my way. It's not my way. It's I, like what the most rewarding things are behind hard work. Indeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's something that I've taken, that I've taken for granted, you know, mm. in, in every aspect. And I was just unaware. So being, get, so man, I, I, I clown these fools for years. People, oh, you go to a meeting, uh, whatever, you know. Um, I was one of those guys. I clowned them, you know, recoveries for flames, you know, uh, didn't really, uh, <laughs> didn't really respect it. Mm -hmm. But I was, to be honest, man, I know it was just fear. Mm -hmm. You know, deep down I knew that it was just fear. So I became one of them, you know. And uh, like I said, going into the house and sitting down in the groups, talking to people, just super paying attention. Something told me I needed to. And I got, I got a force that's driving me that's, that just favors me and has given me the second chance, you know. Uh, but I know I have to go through some things. Mm -hmm. But how do I go through those things, man? Do I crawl? Do I just lay down? Or do I trudge through them, walk through them with a purpose? You know, those are options. Those are my choices. So I choose to trudge, walk with a purpose. <clears throat> and it's hard. It's it's hard. But and I made that decision based off of the things that was taught me. You know, the the, the groups and the people and the one on ones and all the, the amazing like kindness and love and sometimes it was tough because it wasn't always, you know, uh unicorns and rainbows. Mm -hmm. There was some, man, I, I got torn apart, man. I got torn down to the soul. They wanted to go in and clean out my soul. That's the realm where my spirit dwells. And they wanted to clean house, man, so it went deep. Yeah, but they did it in such an amazing way, man. It was, I felt good about it. I felt good about it. And I knew it was the right thing because it was so hard. Yeah. My parents were so proud of me, you know, my family. And this is, <clears throat> I, I went through there a month. I was only in there a month, man. Mm -hmm. And I got a sponsor. I went through the steps. I went to all the meetings. And 
you know, started feeling better, you know, started, <clears throat> I love to cook, by the way. I got a bunch of pictures of some cool stuff on my Facebook. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, started cooking at the house and using the barbecue when there was snow on the ground. I love that, you know, who does that? I do that, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, started to feel, like, good about myself, get a little bit of that self-esteem, man. Like I said, that in- integrity started the foundation of love that it was built on and just every bit of awareness I added to it and I built it and built it and built it and built it until my gut felt good hmm. you know <clears throat> I uh, man I just I fell in love with the idea yeah. and uh, I worked with people in the house going through the steps you know I went, I went through you know I went up to the fifth step before you know, I had to leave um, but I was able to help people you know, through one, two, and three, other people in the house, clients that were struggling, because I seen in them me, and how would I help myself? It was my approach. How would I help myself? What makes sense? And so I would articulate that, and they would get it, and I would see a little, their eyes get a little lighter, you know, smile, and like a sense of self-worth, and that in turn gave me self-worth mm-hmm. so this is like a beautiful process right mm-hmm. so we <clears throat> we're going through the house and you know my dad came over because I got a family day my dad came over my cousin came Earl or came over and uh, we, we did like a process around the table and we talked and you know I seen my dad like smiling for the first time you know that I recognized that he was like truly happy looking at me the first time in a long time and that was very fulfilling you know like this is worth it I gotta keep doing it (laughs) you know Um, so I I ended up going through the house and you know I was supposed to stay there a month and then they were like well we want to put a couple more weeks on there it's like "Ah, whatever you say but I don't really want to do it but I'll do it and then like 10 minutes later it's like I don't want to do it you know so what was going on was uh, my dad had had a few heart attacks. Didn't know it. He just thought he had gas or something, right? He never goes to the hospital. He never goes to the doctor. He's shoved screwdrivers through his hand. He's, he's hurt himself bad, and he just don't go to the doctor, you know. He was born in 36. Hmm. <clears throat> so... Here I am in the treatment center. My life's turning around. I'm getting all this beautiful information. I'm around all these amazing people, being able to see all these struggles and like conquering them. I felt strong. I'm a warrior for recovery, you know. Uh, you know, and I'm just starting to get fired up. And my dad has uh, a heart attack, <clears throat> and he ends up in Anchorage, um, getting a triple bypass. So I get out of the house and I go home and my dad has to go to Anchorage and he's in the hospital and he's there for a long time. And uh, man, if I didn't have that recovery, just that prior month, um, that would have been a game game enter for me, 100%. So it was really cool, man. The people at the house, <clears throat> really uh, empathetic, sympathetic, whatever. Um, 
I was able, you know, I was able to spend a lot of time at the house. Super stayed and involved. You know, went to the house and did step studies. You know, for like right after I got out, like a couple of days, three days later, I was back at the house doing step studies. Mm-hmm. Again, I believe it was an exception. You know, um, but man, they really saw something in me that I just I, I never saw in myself, and, and and they kept making me aware of it, and it me just more and like putting it in my face and giving me that energy. You know, and. Ah, man, so it was hard, but I had that. And I really, you know, really started to see things. And just because I needed it so bad, my rock bottom was, it was my rock bottom, man. I, I, 100%, that was, that was the bottom for me. Well, then I get a call from my lawyer, and we have to go to court for what I had done two and a half years prior to that. All right, well, what's the deal? Well. They really they can't make a deal on on uh, on your your charge of kidnapping uh, because something was going on within the within the court system uh, where they weren't allowed to make deals for a while. He's like, but don't worry about it. That charge is never going to stick. It's ridiculous, you know. I was like, all right, because I mean I didn't believe I kidnapped. My definition is totally different than the states. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those guys are out of control. First and foremost, they're, yeah, they need to work on that definition. So we got to go to court. I was very convinced that uh, they would they would see that in the details of the case, and you know, that's that's really, really, really wasn't worried about that. I was 100 percent positive. So, but the other stuff. I mean, I didn't want to go to jail for one day, not one day. But you know, the burglary for walking into a dwelling. Well, I did that absolutely. You know, assault for smacking the dude around. Yeah, I did that. Kidnapping, I didn't do. And I was, with my definition, of course. So, like I said, really wasn't worried about it. My dad's in the hospital. I got to fly out now. Me and my lawyer drove up to Anchorage, stopped by the hospital, saw my dad. He had just gotten out of surgery that day. And he sat up on the bed and he looked at me. And he doesn't really remember, but he remembers you there. And, uh. You know, he had a scar from his, uh, where his collarbone comes together to about three inches above his belly button, where they opened his chest and took his heart out of his body <laughs> and you know, set it over on the side and then did a bunch of work to it. Mm-hmm. And then they put it back in. I still said they put it in upside down. <laughs> 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 you know. Um, so I saw him, you know, the day, after, the day of his surgery later that day, and, you know, he looked like that. And, you know, I had to tell him, I was like, hey, Dad, i, I got to go to court, man. This trial thing's real. There's going to be no deal. Uh, I need to borrow some money. <laughs> uh, what a <laughs> Sure. So we go to court. I had to fly out west. What did he think? Is he like, dude, I'm... I'm, I'm in rough shape, and you want some dough? <laughs> but on the other hand, yeah. he's never seen you. I mean, I mean, not never, but in a long time, he has not seen you really able to function and know what you need besides drugs and or alcohol. You know, yeah. I think I bet him looking at you and you saying, "Dad, this is what's going on in my life. This is what I need to do." And here I am asking for the resources that I needed to do it. And by the way, those resources are not drugs or alcohol or means to 
get those drugs or alcohol. Yeah. I bet even even though like yeah you said what a you know what a. I bet in some respects, like his mind was kind of like, this is a Lloyd I can deal with, you know? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. A worthy a cause? Bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. A little bit? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I believe so. And, and he was honest. Honestly, he was uh, devastated when they. He, be, he believed 100% that it was going to just, you know, it wasn't going to stick, man. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, Give us money. Get on a plane. Go out there to court. Do the jury selection. And I'm looking. And I was like, oh, well, I'm screwed. Not a jury of my peers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you guys would be there if it was a jury of my peers. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not a jury of my peers. Everyone's kind of looking down at me with their glasses just right at the tip of their nose. <laughs> Oh, yeah, boy. So I chose not to testify in court. Uh, I knew that I was um, I was going to get hit. I didn't know how hard, but I would like to preserve my case and remain silent. So went to trial. Uh, I had a few good hopes, you know. Uh, but the cool thing is when I was out there, they have a, a church out there, and I went up to the church, and I was like, man, excuse me, sir, do you have, do you have meetings here? Like, yeah, yeah, but nobody ever comes. I'm like, really? Uh, when are you having the next meeting? Well, we're having it tonight, but there's no one here to do it. I said, well, check it out, man. I would like to do this. So I had my basic text, the one I left the house with, and I got, I still got it to this day. And there's a story behind that. Uh, but it has all the gifts that they gave me, you know, and the one that was repeated in there was no less, no more. So it was balance, right? Mm. I still have that. I believe that. So. So I took my book, went in there, and I'm, I'm going through trial all day long, and then, you know, I'm staying in, a, in another village, you know, like 10, 12 miles away in a hotel. I go to the church, and we have a meeting, and, you know, there's just a, like two or three of us in there, and uh, the pastor let us do it, you know, it was pretty cool. Um, and then the next night, we had another meeting, and there was like five or six of us. In there, and then we so we had these meetings, and you know, I ended up about six people, you know, uh, every night. So I'd go to trial, I'd go home, shower, change, whatever, grab my book, and we'd do these meetings, and it turned out really cool. Well, they didn't have any literature out there, so I was like, check it out. Tomorrow is my last day of, of trial. I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna give you this this book of mine, and you know, if you guys keep doing this, I think it'd be a beautiful thing. But here's this book of mine, and I, I gave it to. You know, a couple that was coming to the meeting. So I go to court the next day and uh, guilty, kidnapping, bird one, assault two, cuff up, right out of the courtroom. No remand date, you cuff up right there. So I took all my stuff out of my pockets, gave it to my lawyer, cuffed up. I'm like, this ain't bad. This ain't bad. I'll be all right. You know, yeah, I was just like, going through the whole grieving process right away, just denial, 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 denial acceptance. Yeah. Of, you know, and acceptance is the last part. Denial is the first part, and all the three or four steps in yeah, between. Yeah, you got you know. some anger and some bargaining and some yeah. other steps in there to go yeah. through. But right now, you're full step one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I cuffed up, man. I went, to, I went to their little jail out there with their pink walls and their bright lights and their torture chamber. I sat there for a few days. And, 
flew they flew us into Anchorage and went to went to the jail there in Anchorage and and from there we got shipped out to Goose Creek. Spent seven months out there. That shoe dropped on me, found me guilty. And that was actually kind of a relief, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, you're done I mean you had been in fear for multiple years. Yeah. Right. At least yeah. at this point it's over. Yeah. At least it's decided. Yeah, yeah decided. Your fate is not some big question mark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But still. But still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right? Still, so, you're you're still in to, for yeah. a while. To give you a perspective, so kidnapping is an unclassified felony. And the range is from five years, minimum, five years. And remember, not one day. Here we go, five years. That's the least amount of time I'll do. Mm-hmm. To 99 years. Okay, mm-hmm. so I sat again seven months before I got sentenced. I sat in pretrial for seven months. Okay, going through the whole grieving process, bargaining was the biggest part of that. You know, well, I could exchange this part of my life for that part of my life. You know, I could make up here and what I lost there. And, um, seven months, man. So check it out. What I had learned prior to, to all this, to that event happening to me, the stuff that I learned in recovery and, and the coping tools that they showed me and like the love and the caring and the, the obligation that I felt to that was so strong. That's what I latched onto, man, because you go in survival mode, man. I did what I had to do to survive in there. But I was gifted this opportunity to, to get this awareness and information you know, I was gifted that opportunity, and it was in my face. And, like, what do I do? Oh, yes, this is what I do. Man, and I stuck to recovery. I stuck to recovery. I, I think that's a pretty it. textbook, uh, you know, example of, <clears throat> you know, what a lot of uh, recovery programs or just, like, what does recovery look like and what are its goals. Uh, I think that's... A major component of it right I mean I think this is a good example of where because in a lot of situations people don't necessarily get cleaned up with no real baggage left to deal with right a lot of people that are getting cleaned up have some future court dates or some future unresolved uh, outstanding child support bills or some other really large tangible must be dealt with kind of circumstances yeah. And they're going to be, as I think this is quite the example, they're going to be extremely, can be extremely, extremely challenging. Yeah. And that is when your tools of recovery are going to be most necessary. I think this is a good example of, because you had a lot of, right, if you're, if, if the a disease of addiction in a lot of ways is, is cunning and baffling and it will take away and it will deceive what better circumstances for that disease to get to work when one's feeling a little bit hopeless in jail for seven months thinking who knows what's going to happen you know and it's going to take some real skills for that disease not to win out and it's just i think i guess all that to say it's really cool to hear a real life example of those tools being used in the face of some really difficult circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. 
necessity, man. Mother of invention, right? I had to reinvent myself, and I, you know, I did that with, like you said, the tools. You know, putting that stuff into, into action, man. Words beget words, actions beget actions, right? Yeah. And uh, and here's the cool thing about that, man. Like, I didn't know it, man. I did not know it. I still didn't know it at that point, but I felt it. I felt it, and because that connection had started to rebuild itself, man, the message started to get through to me. The message that of, of recovery and, and the belief of hope and and faith, right? To, you know, I have, I have faith in this. It's a very, very strong belief. It's, it's, you know, and then it happens and it just builds on that. And so I clung on to all the tools that I learned, like the superficial tools, you know, give yourself a timeout, think about this or that. But the spiritual tools, man, I really, I really uh, integrated those, man. I, I internalized that message and I prayed on it, meditated on it. You know, I'm not a religious guy. I'm, I'm a very spiritual person, right? Um, and I respect all religions because it's a belief that somebody else's belief in who am I to disrespect that? It's ridiculous to me, and that's what I believe. Hmm. So, so the spiritual connection that I found and, and those tools were just so crucial to my well-being. So I used those, man. I used those, and uh, man, I'm gonna be all right. I got seven months. I didn't know it was seven months. It's supposed to be like within six months, but so it could have been any time, any time. Well, I'm not going to court tomorrow. I'm not going to court tomorrow. I'm getting rolled up, you know. I'm gonna do, you know, what's going on? What's going on? Call my lawyer. Hey, quit calling me. Call me too much. Never <laughs> said that. He never said that. But that's how it felt, right? <laughs> so, so bam! All of a sudden, one night I'm sitting there and ah, roll up. All right, cool. So I'm excited. Ah, I get to go outside away from the this place, you know. Um, so I roll my stuff and I, they take me into Anchorage and jump on a plane and fly back out west, go to court. I'm in court, I get my pre-sentence report and the district attorney is recommending they give me about 90 years. So, huh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> interesting. Um, yeah, man. My, uh, my story of my crime is brutal. Um, my recollection of it is not so brutal, but when it's put down on paper and have a perspective of somebody that was in fear for their life, it gets big. And not my recollection of it. However, uh, right in the middle of that, you know, the court decided, and because of the support that I had and the things that I had gone through for recovery to help myself, but the support that I had, uh, the you know, the letters I got, because you can have letters and people that support you and what they think of you and character reference and stuff like that from anybody, you know, during court when you're sentenced and all that, and parole too as well. But, uh, you know, at that point I was 38 years old and, um, 38-year-old doing this, well, they're not really rehabilitatable in the in the eyes of the courts. But I was because what I had gone through in recovery and what I latched onto and the people that saw that wrote letters for me. So I got 20 years when I got sentenced. 
And when he said 20 years, I was like, hmm, that's better than 21 years. <laughs> and then he said, but I'm suspending 11 of those years to hold you accountable. If you mess up one time, if I see you in this courtroom one time, you're getting all of those 11 years. Okay, so 11 years, so that's nine years. So in nine years, you do six years. Yay, winning. Mm -hmm. That's a good deal for a kidnapping charge. Especially when that original number says 90. <laughs> yeah, 99. 99, yeah. Man. Yeah, I, I, got, I got a lot of homeboys up there that don't have a release date, mm -hmm. you know. So six years, six calendars, bet I could do that. But I'm gonna get out early. Watch this. I'm not doing six years. And uh, so that was my goal, man. My goal was to get out early and be clean and healthy and cure my my, my liver disease, right? And at this point, I'd been checked twice, and yeah, I'd had B and Hep C. Uh, so that was my plan. I was gonna get healthy and uh, you know start working the step step twelve. Um, I started to to kind of develop a relationship with people in, in, in the you know other 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 dudes that were in prison that were you know struggling. I started to develop kind of a real honest relationship with them and you know share a little bit of my story and what I've been going through and the, the you know the, the amazing stuff that happened to me you know when I was in treatment you know, I was in the treatment house in the Serenity House. Uh, you know, I had to justify me being there by doing something positive. I couldn't yeah, just make some yeah. meaning out of all this. Yeah, man, I, I couldn't just sit there. Cause here's the deal. Here's the deal, dog. For real, all you have to do is every Wednesday you have to get up in the morning, make sure your cell is clean because they do an inspection. You have to lock down at six in the morning. You have to lock down at ten. You have to lock down at I believe it was four, five. Five o'clock at six, it shift changed, and ten o'clock night. That's all you have to do. You have to do. They do counts, right? Like five mm -hmm. or six different times a day. Or yeah, or eight times a day they do counts. Wow. Twenty-four hour period, they have to do mm -hmm. X amount of counts. That's, that's all you. Have, that's all you have to do, man. Mm -hmm. That's all you have to do. Right, right. You uh, gotta, gotta swing in <laughs> five minutes. Yeah. For here and there. Yeah. 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 Um, I was like, man, I, I can't. I can't do that, man. I gotta. I gotta. I got to do something that, that warrants me being taken away from my family. You know, I might as well have been on the moon up there, man. I'm not going to ask my, my 80-year-old dad to that just had his heart ripped out and put in upside down. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to have him drive up there, man, and see me. Hmm. You know, and that's not me being selfish because I want to see me in prison. No, that's me honestly not wanting him to do that drive, man. That's a long drive, you know, and the rest of my family is out of state and in and, and Kodiak and so, man, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this six years. I'm going to do this six years. I'm not going to see my family. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, like, try to avoid it. But, uh, okay, i got to make this right. So I started getting into the substance abuse program that they had up there. I filled out a mentor application for SAT, right? That's what they were doing. It was all SAT at the time. And I never had taken the... Because normally you would take their program, and then after the program, you could, you know, be a mentor, mm -hmm. right? Well, I just filled out the mentor paperwork, and uh, man, they hired me right away. 
So I jumped over there, got in the LSAT classes, and you know, I'm, I'm sitting there with a bunch of thugs. You know, my first time, and I was like, hey man, check it out. I gotta tell you who I am. If I'm gonna sit in this room and listen to who you are. I need you to trust me. So I told him, I told, man, I was tearing up. I told him the story, man. I told him, I told him what I'm telling you here today. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, it just, it was, it was an amazing feeling. All these, you know, heavies in there uh, looking at me like, man, I respect you. And uh, you can feel it because it's all about, you know, respect. We'll get into that later, but. So the program, man, I got into the program. I was mentoring. Um, I was, people were looking at me, man. I was, I was getting honor. I was restoring my honor, man. I had these obligations and I was fulfilling these obligations. And in turn, my honor was being restored and honor is what other people think of me. Integrity is what I think of myself, right? So that honor, man, I, I became, I became somebody in there, man. And not just somebody that's known for, you know, well, let's for, be for real, man. It's a, it's a tough place, you know. I mean, there's facade after facade after facade of tough guy, tough guy, tough guy, tough guy. Man, the hardest dude on the yard is the guy that wants to get out of there and take care of their family. That's my definition of heart. People are kind of unaware of that, you know, and maybe this will make them aware. Uh, so vulnerable, man. I'm just putting this out there. That's that's the hardest man on the yard. And uh, man, I became somebody. I got a lot of respect. The staff up there, you know, the inmates up there. Um, you know, there's an occasional jerk. And uh, I ain't gonna lie, man. I, I had to do some battling. Absolutely, you know. Um, been to the hole a few times. You know, got a couple scars. Gave a couple scars, you know. I went through the experience all the experience, man. Um, and I handled that with the respect it demands in prison. And so, yeah, I became a very important part of a lot of people's lives up there. Um, and most importantly, I became a very important part of my own life. I started participating in my life. Um, you know, going through the LSAT program up there. That's a beautiful program. And uh, I learned quite a bit with the people in there. And me. Everything's recorded, everything's on video up there. So there's the confidentiality doesn't work for, you know, incarceration. But to be able to see people like, you know, whatever, and like open up, and not everyone did that, but that kept that, kept that fire burning inside me. Well, that LSAT program went away. And I stayed in there, and counselor after counselor were getting walked off the yard for being inappropriate because it's not like counseling on the street where you could have like an intimate conversation with this counselor. It's very sterile, very clinical. And like the stuff that really helps and soothes the soul, the stuff that really like gets in, in into you and, and brings, brings all that anxiety out, it's not allowed. And that's just the dynamic of it, right? And I, I, I respect it because that's just the way that has to be. So between inmate and inmate, of course it's allowed, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, well, I need that for me. So I know this dude needs it for him. So then I started talking to people and I started talking to people and, it, and 
you know, just chopping it up. And um, man, people are telling me these things, and, I, and, and it's helping me because I'm like, okay, man, I'm gaining more perspective. I'm starting to see like a panoramic of the of the picture, you know, the big picture, the proverbial picture, you know, look at the big picture, stay inside the frame, you know. Um, and man, these guys are these guys are doing, you know, they're doing cool stuff. I felt really good about it, right? And then the the uh, IOPSAT program came in there, right, with uh, Aquila, and that was that was there for yeah, just a short time, and they ended up losing the contract. And so I was a paid I was a mentor there that was paid. I volunteered for like like a year, over a year, you know. Uh, six hours, five days a week, right? And then Aquila came in, and like, getting a buck an hour is big, because like 40 cents an hour, 35 cents an hour is what they pay people. So I was getting a buck an hour, man. I was living large. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was uh, I was doing good, man. And uh, then the, the contract failed, and Aquila bounced out of there, and, and there was nothing. There was one counselor that um, didn't accept that. She stayed there. And she stayed there for a year, and she went from being hired with Aquila to being a, a work employee for for the state for DOC, and she did those programs, man. And uh, I helped her out as much as I could, man. But at this point of the game, this is this is um, like two and a half, three years later. Okay, after after I got in there, right? And I'm being a mentor the whole time, and I'm doing good. I'm on fire, man. I wrote a book. I got a recovery book, actually. It's Warriors Within. It's pretty cool. Uh, I'm working on that still right now. Mm-hmm. However, um, man, I was I was super on fire, and then I ended up uh, trying to get out, get on EM, because you get on an ankle monitor. You know, you try to get out early, go on furlough, stuff like that, and, and I wasn't getting no action. And, you know, at this point, like, I've had, like, two visits for my family, and, like, you know, three and a half, four years or whatever. And uh, so I was, I was, I was kind of feeling down that the recovery wasn't really working anymore. You know, I put my book down and next thing I know I get, uh, you know, I get hit on my, on my uh, request for EM, you know, and then I get hit on uh, furlough and I got in a really bad place and there's a lot of, I don't know, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of dope up there. Mm-hmm. I'm more up there than down here on the street, for real. Yeah. That's the hustle, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the hustle. And uh, man, I those cravings started kicking in. Those thoughts came in, and I wasn't setting them aside, man. There was something that just, fuck, man, I'm gonna be here for the rest of my life. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do all those 20 years. I know it, you know. And, and that negative so much negativity in that place, man, and I fought it off, and I fought it off, and I fought it off, and it got to the point where, oh, they're not gonna let me out of here? Why bother, you know? Everyone's gonna be dead by the time I get out. You know, I started, like, manifesting these negative results, you know, I'm like, I thought about it, and then it happened. It was just, I thought about it, and then it happened. It was negative, you know? They're not gonna let me out. Well, they didn't let me out. So uh, I really wanted to get high, man. And um, there's uh, some that suboxone, that little beautiful orange fish food, we call it. Uh, here, man, try this. This will this will help. 
And I tried it, and I tried it, and I felt just like I did heroin. You know, I got that feeling. I got high off it, and uh, all 100% of that guilt and shame and fear and anger and anxiety just hit me like a ton, man. Like, I, I really can't even explain it. Mm. And, uh, man, I went dark. I went dark. <laughs> but again, man, there was just something that pulled it out. Pulled it out of me, man. I I was blessed with an opportunity to uh, enter a sober living mod that they had there, which is like, you know, one of the one of the first ones. It's a, it's a pretty new thing. Uh, PO3 up there. She uh, she was a, in, you know, in charge of putting that mod together. Um, the superintendent, the administration, they were super supportive of it. So I moved into the sober living community. And, uh, you know, everyone in there is doing this program or has a job. You know, there's some lifers in there, too, that are, you know, kind of help mentor things along. And then there's inmate council. And every Wednesday we'd hold a, 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 like a town hall meeting with the mod. And there's about 90, 80, 90 people in there, right? So I was asked to be one of those. So I was one of the five council members. And um, my... My get down in there was, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of, uh, like, resources. I collected resources. I had people out here that would send uh, resources to me, and then I would copy them. They let me use the copy machine. It was amazing. And I'm like, yay, how do, what is this thing? How does it work? Started pushing buttons and stuff, and weird stuff happening. But, you know, uh, so I had, man, I had trust. These guys trusted me to do this stuff, and I was like, wow. We, we don't get to do nothing up there, man. Mm -hmm. um, they trusted me because I, well, I earned it because I put in this effort, you know, and I messed up, but, man, they see that, and, okay, they forgive me so I can forgive myself. See, I would have never saw that before. So that was one of the things that was, you know, instilled in me by this recovery thing. Uh, I can forgive myself. It's okay. And just know it's there and move forward, right? So all that stuff started coming back, started giving all these resources and, and helping people out. And, and then, you know, I started getting back into the book again and, uh, you know, became a mentor for the mod, which my door was always open and I always had, you know, two, three guys come over and be talking to me, you know. And uh, and so, man, I started going through the steps and I had a friend that that was like, hey, let's do the step studies over there. And I was like, nah, I'm mean, no good on that. I got too much mentoring in the mod to do it. Well, he ended up getting out. So I was like, well, I'm not gonna let that candle go out. I'm gonna torch it. So, man, we started having meetings over there. I went and talked to uh, uh, P.O. Angle, and I was like, listen, I really wanna do this. Um, you know, I, I've learned a thing or two, and I'd love to share it. And she's like, okay, absolutely, put you on a schedule. So put us on the schedule, man. We had fired up these, these NA meetings. There was recovery meetings. And had um, a large turnout. You know, we had one meeting. There was 47 people in there. Hmm. Our average for, and, and it's kind of seasonal because in the wintertime, everyone kind of just like, you know, hibernates, right? But, uh, you know, we, we had an average of, of like, you know, 28 people for, you know, like the like first three months, you know, and then kind of, it whittled itself down to, you know, in the, you know, you know, 20, 20 was about our average. You know, we did that for like eight months, man. And uh, I was like, well, these meetings are cool. I love these meetings. These meetings are cool. 
and we had a pretty pretty uh, strict format, and uh, it was not there was no crosstalk disrespect. It was it was very it was very cool, and, and went out in the room. Everybody either chose to speak or not. They didn't. They just said their name, and you know. And then we bounced to somebody else. So some of these meetings went on for like two and a half hours. Yeah, so a lot of people. Um, but then we did step studies too, man. I started step studies and started working through the steps. And, you know, there was upwards around like 24, 26 people in the step studies. And it was pretty amazing. And it was very systematic. One step per week, we get to step four. And we break that into four parts. Step, 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 step. And then complete step four in a month. And I, I was able to do that uh, a little over two and a half times before they kicked me out of prison. <laughs> I got booted out of prison. Um, so do you think your uh, involvement in this mentoring and, and really helping these people out, did that really get you out of that dark place? Because you mentioned it was, you got that all that negativity, but then it sounds like the more you became involved in helping these other people, the more it kind of helped yourself. Was that kind of how it went, or, or how did you get out of that negative mindset? Well, that was exactly how it went, man. That was exactly how it went. When I got out of hold from my, my behavior um, and got put in a mod, you know, um, there was a lot of people that I let down up there, hmm. and uh, they made me very aware of it. You know, disappointment is a tough thing to face. You know, the first time I really felt it was when my daughter, she was 13. Hmm. But when these guys were like, hey man, what the are you doing? Um, I woke up. You know, yeah, I snapped out of that um, because I was helping these people. You yeah. know, and then you know, and then I wasn't—I wasn't there, right? Yeah. And uh, when I when I do when I help someone and and you know I feel it, I see it, it's there, it's real. Um, man, my spirit gets just happy. It just—it gets happy. It's unbelievable. It's an amazing feeling, and uh, yeah, I missed that, man. And, you know, that's when I was like, man, I, I deserve that all the time, mm -hmm. so this is what I'm gonna do. So I didn't have to take the program, again, you know. I seriously, like I said, all you gotta do is just exist there, you sit on the couch, watch TV, mm -hmm. sit in the chairs, watch TV, it's, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm getting back in the program. So I took the program and I was resentful. I was just looking at everybody in the group because I was a mentor in the program and now I'm a, a student. And it don't matter what I do, it's I'm not getting out of prison early. Oh, I said, no, forget it. All right, I understand. So it sounds like you were kind of feeling hopeless uh, that you weren't going to get out of prison early, but things were looking up for the future. Yeah. Um, what had happened was... Is, I was focusing so much on, on, on that getting out of prison with like a really an unreasonable expectation, you know. So I just started focusing back on on, on myself and and getting back in that place where I was where I was happy, not necessarily comfortable, hmm. but I was happy with my life and the things that I've learned and. Yeah, the the self worth that I had found, and I started focusing on that, and I and I applied the 
information in, in, in the program that they had up there to my life and then I applied that to the reality that I was in and it it was an amazing transformation for me to see because I know it happened before and I was able to get it back and kind of get readjusted hmm. so I, I, I went off course is what happened at that point when I realized that um, that course changed for me it, and it went it went back to where what I was doing was right and I was feeling good every time I did it even though it was hard and I didn't want to do it I still trudged forward and, and you know that that reality felt great so that's where I wanted to be and it was in a positive direction so you know like I said the 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 administration there the staff uh, you know they saw that and respected it the inmates there my uh, you know all my dudes there the you know um, they saw that they respected it and I, you know so that added to my self-esteem and I started all right man okay I'm not getting out of prison early that's absolutely fine but every minute I spend in here I'm gonna be giving back I'm gonna be service because if I don't I'm gonna lose that feeling of self-worth right I'm gonna help some people attainable goal realistic and reasonable I'm going to put this message out and I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm okay with that. And if someone picks it up, that's great. To help one person in the world doesn't make much of a difference, but that one person makes a world of difference. And that's it. It's so simple. Uh, so that's what I did, man. Um, I, my outlook was like this. I'm going to do my time. I'm going to give my pound of flesh. I'm going to put that out there. I'm going to be transparent and the people that attach to that are the people I'm going to be around, people I'm going to associate with because they're like-minded. And I was so surprised with how many people actually attach to that. You know, I, I mentored people that are now running their own recovery groups out of prison, people that were shooting dope for 20 years, recovery groups that are open. They're, they're doing it, man. Uh, and that's an amazing feeling when they call and say, hey, man, check it out. I want to thank you. You know, uh, have, I'm a, a sponsor, man. I have sponsees. You know, I have, I have results for positive action. And that is so powerful. And that drives me. That drives me. And I have a very clear for the first time in my life, I have a very clear vision of my future, where I am, who I'm going to be with, and what I'm going to be doing. I see it, I mean, I visualize it for the first time in my life. I'm a late bloomer, I guess, <laughs> slow learner, but I got it, man. I, I mean, I got that vision, and that's what I'm working towards. And it's not, I'm flexible, you know, it's not like that's got to be it. No, it's, I see it, and that's what, I, that's what I'm striving for. And, and it involves uh, being of service. It involves helping others, you know. It involves um, letting people get to know me so I can get to know them. And this is an amazing thing what you guys are doing because this is how that works. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really cool to, you know, to meet you guys and, and, and be able to do something like this because uh, spreading awareness is the number one thing. Um, 
and I wish back then someone would have done it for me. But, if, you know. If you could go back and even talk to yourself, what do you think you'd say? <sighs> Man, if I could, super hypothetically speaking, because I got a really strong belief about going back and changing the future. Yeah, yeah. But super, super, like a cape on it, super. Yeah. Hypothetical, if I can go back and, and talk to myself, mm -hmm. I would let myself know that I'm worth it, mm. that I could forgive myself and I can move forward. And I would tell myself that the things that you have done yesterday doesn't need to define you for tomorrow. There is a future. Mm. What you do right now in the moment is a choice, and that choice will determine that, will give you that consequence, either right or wrong, good or ill, but you have choices. Respect those choices. Follow your gut, follow your instinct, listen to that. That's what I would tell myself. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. But I have this belief. Uh, where I am today right now, as opposed to where I was, I would never even dream of going back and changing anything. Yeah. Because my life is so beautiful now. So I mentioned that when I got sick, went to the hospital, diagnosed with hepatitis B and hepatitis C, usually within a first month, <clears throat> your body can fight it off and then you won't have it anymore. Let's say about a month, right? Mm -hmm. Three years later, I go and I get checked. I got it. I still got it. I'm in prison. I, yep, hep B and hep C. All right, cool. Well, you know, part of the miracles that happened in my life, and I'm not really sure if, if I don't really know about, you know, once I got diagnosed with it, I was like, well, I got it. I don't want to know anything about it. Because I just, you know, who needs to know about it? I got it. Whatever. That's all I need to know. Mm. But check it out, man. I come out here, and I get my annual, and I, first in five years, you know, other than the blood test I got up there, I said I had it. Man, when I was up there every day, I told myself I'm going to get rid of that. I'm going to be healthy. So I worked out. I spent six days a week in the gym, sometimes two or three times a day. I'd go to the gym, work out, best physical shape of my life. You know, 54-inch chest, 33-inch waist, doing good. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to eat as healthy as I could. There's a lot of garbage up there. Mm. But I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to get rid of this. I'm gonna get rid of this disease, man. I'm gonna get rid of it, hepatitis. And uh, so I come back here, man, I get my test results back a couple weeks ago. I am 100% clear of these diseases. Wow. My blood pressure is just banging, heart resting, heart rate banging, uh, cholesterol banging, uh, no hepatitis B, right? No hepatitis C, uh, testosterone level normal, um, bacteria, what, every single test I had them run, man, and they ran it, and I'm good, you know. Wow. Uh, manifestation, bro. Mm. Positive energy, positive thoughts, uh, belief, faith, focus. Yeah. Yeah, those are the things that I learned when I went to treatment, things I paid attention to. And it was probably there my entire life. I just took them for granted and didn't see it. Hmm. You know, because I was caught up in that whole self-obsession. And, um, yeah, man. 
So doing all those things, leading those groups up there and, and seeing the changes in people and helping people, recharging my power, recharging my energy, staying involved is like the number one thing that, that I need, I know that I must do uh, because it's a source of energy for me, right? So, you know, having that opportunity and having, you know, those, I'm going to say amazing staff members and up there at Goose, uh, you know, P.O. Engel and uh, the superintendent. And having that kind of support in that environment, just knowing that that support is offered without anything further than that is an amazing thing, right? Mm -hmm. If it goes no further than just the offer, it's a beautiful thing. But these guys up there, man... They, they latched onto it, and it's a big deal. And you got the outside guys that come in from NA and outside guys from AA. They come in and do their, you know, one meeting a week, and everyone's involved in that. So uh, it's still on fire up there. You know, I get reports back. It's still on fire up there. And, you know, um, that feels really good. So, I went, man, I went to the full board. Go ahead. Um. I was going to say, speaking of today, what is, what is, uh, what is life like today? You know? Wow. So speaking of today, man, I, I got, I have the most beautiful relationships. Like it's, it's amazing, man. My dad's 83. My, my, my mom, my stepmom, she's 80. She's got a little bit of, you know, a little bit of, uh, dementia going on and stuff. Um, you know, my daughter's here with me. Uh, one of my sons is here in town. Uh, you know, I got an amazing girlfriend. I've been in love with her for years. And I'm just finally able to tell her, you know. Could you imagine being in love with someone for like six years and not telling them? And then all of a sudden one day being able to do it? That's mm -hmm. a miracle right there, bro. Um, you know, my daughter who I thought about every day and I let down and the one that was disappointed in me is now so proud of me it's amazing she glows you know my dad he's has a hard time walking but he floats around the house plays old country music on the radio while we cook breakfast and laugh and my stepmom and I have great conversations I sneak her cookies as many times a day as I can <laughs> you know I I, I do a uh, a lot of cooking. I love to cook and cleaning and organizing and just, you know, I, and it's because I love to do it. I love doing that. I mean, I love it. I love the results from it. You know, I go to groups and I go to meetings and probably ought to go to more meetings. Um, you know, I'm, I'm healthy. Let's talk about a second chance, bro. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that, man. I, they, they boot me out of prison. They're like, you know what? All right, pro board said, all right, you got a good plan. Are you going to do it? Yes, I'm going to do it. Man, they all had smiles on their face when they told me to get out of there. Yeah, they all had smiles on their face. I noticed that. They probably didn't realize it, but I noticed. <laughs> all right, cool. So the second chance, man, they let me out early. And now, remember... At the beginning of the story, I'm like, I'm not doing six years. So that made me out a year early. Super probation and parole, though. But, you know, that's another miracle. Uh, 
you know, I got a probation offer that's supportive, you know, not the enemy. I don't view him as enemy support, right? That's cool. But uh, I got my health back. I got my freedom back. I got myself back. I got my family back. Uh, you know, my relationships are all healing up. Uh, people are proud of me. I'm, I'm proud of myself, man. You know, uh, the support that I have in the community, the support from the Serenity House. I mean, even you guys, you know, um, I see beauty and love all the time. You know, I see fear, I see anxiety all the time um, in myself and in others. But I know how to deal with that. I know how to deal with love. I know how to deal with fear. And I deal with it by talking you know, by reaching out or answering a call. I don't deal with it by sticking a needle in my arm anymore, drinking a fifth of vodka. You know, that has changed for me. And, you know, they talk about that will be lifted. Yeah, man. A thought is a thought, and occasionally a thought will pop in. But it's just that, and I don't have to act on it, man, because I'm out of consequence. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to stay, man. That new mammalian mind where, you know, I'm participating in my life. And that's where I'm at right now. And I'm striving to it, man. I got a barrier crime, you know, but I want to work with people. And uh, I have faith that, you know, all that's going to come through in one way or another. Uh, I'm going to be a service and I'm going to participate in my own life. And, uh, you know, I got a full second chance. Relationships, health, freedom freedom of choice and and I'm accountable for that and I realized that and I went through a man I went through it and I went through it but um, I came out maybe not on top but there's a top I'm striving for mm -hmm. you know I have a chance to do it and that's the biggest thing, man. And it seems like you have uh, both the opportunity as well as the fact that you're taking advantage of that opportunity with a uh, good amount of energy. It seems like you're trying to take some other people with you as well. You know, it seems like you're you're giving back. You're you're mindful of what others uh, who are you know down and out you know need. And part of that is you know, I think unique, you know, that if you weren't able to kind of have some of the insight that you gathered, you wouldn't be able to, you know, do some of the, I guess, profound work that you're, you're doing, you know, I think that's, that's important to consider. Yeah. You know, and being able to do it with confidence. Now there's, there's arrogance and there's confidence, right? Confidence is, is built upon legitimate real experience and uh, and it's it's that's the walking the walk part of it right uh, arrogance from comes from building upon talking about it and talking the talk and I've experienced both because believe me when I was in my darkest I was talking the talk and I was arrogant and applying all that and doing the work for real, 
uh, and built on those experiences, I'm, I'm confident in myself and my abilities. And, um, I'm focused and still working on No Less, No More, and that was written several times in my book, by the way, as I mentioned earlier from when I left the, the recovery house. Uh, but man, I'm right, I'm right there. I'm fluctuating this way. Mm -hmm. and, that's and I bet that's hard for you. I mean, I, you know, we've just been here for a little while, but I can tell, like, you're, uh, you're probably, and I mean this in a nice way, because it really can be, I think, of great success, but you are a man of extremes. I mean, yeah. when, you're, when you're in, you're in, right? Right. I mean, when you're going to do something, sleeps, you're yeah. all in. Maybe, I mean, I get yeah. that. I've, it's been, like, not that long. I don't know about you, Coburn, but... Like I get that like impression pretty pretty quickly. Like when you're in, you're in, and so I bet that's hard, right? I mean, yeah. you got to find the balance of being all in, but also kind of no more, no less, and yeah. that's a that's tough, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, um, that is absolutely something I struggle with because when I'm all in, you know, and then there's a little. You, there's a, the burnout, man. Everybody knows what the burnout is on, on something. Uh, and, you know, I start to start to get to that point. And that's, that's like when, you know, overwhelming feelings come in, hmm. you know. And uh, so I get right up there and I start to get singed by it, you know, because it's hot. Mm -hmm. And then I, then I can back up. Before, I would let that over, oh, yeah, going, yeah. the overwhelming part would it's just... Like Right, you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? Mm. So as not to be overwhelmed, mm -hmm. and that's how I deal with life on life's terms. Is I, I I take the situation, and you know I can look at it. Okay, well this is what I need to do to have a positive consequence. Couldn't do that before. Didn't even really care. Didn't know about it really. <laughs> Wasn't aware. Now I know. It's mm -hmm. a bell. I can't unring it, right? right. So, uh, I like that. yeah, so yeah, you know, that extreme thing, it's, uh, I have to find quiet time for myself, man. I learned how to play the guitar. I taught myself, you know, that's a quiet time. I, I like to, you know, write down my thoughts and maybe not necessarily journaling, but you know, just maybe it is journaling. Um, you know, I like that, uh, you know, just like meditation. I think I, I do several things for myself and, and self-time, and that helps with the balance. Uh, and I respect myself. I, 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 love to, I love to work out, man. I go to the gym a lot and put, just put my headphones in. I don't even listen to the music. I just put headphones in, turn. Well, I got specific music, but uh, I, don't, I don't listen to the words, man. I just I work out. You know, do my routines and uh, have that self-time to kind of give me that balance. You know, uh, mind, body, and spirit is what I believe in. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and go to meetings and talk to people and talk to my sponsees and talk to my girl, talk to my kids, talk to my dad. Uh, I love you is probably said countless times every day. And I'm my, my stepmom, I'm her favorite person. <laughs> You know, every time I see her, she just lights up and compliments me, and you know, and then we start talking about something, and it just quickly goes, <laughs> says something else. But those moments are beautiful, man, and that's what I cherish. That's what keeps me in the balance, man, and I dig it. Yeah. 
So I think uh, some of the really cool things that we've heard today have been uh, one that you uh, you can forgive yourself. You know, mm. that was I think a pretty big big lesson. Yeah. Um, as well as I liked what you said about uh, you know eating an elephant one bite at a time. Um, I think you know I want to thank you for sharing really what has been. A story of a lot of difficulty at times, you know. Also, some great uh, triumph as well. You know, I think you were able to take really a lot of very difficult situations and get to a place now where it sounds like, you know, you describe your life today and it's you know, a lot of fulfilling relationships, fulfilling service. You've impacted a lot of people in positive ways. I'm hoping that people that are able to hear this are, you know, I think one interesting part of this was that you got clean and then you pretty much, you know, your next six years were locked down, you know? Yeah. Um, and for the most part, you you made some meaning out of that, you know? You found some a way to be productive and make that not wasted, you know, mm-hmm. or really, I think yeah. some people hear years of incarceration and they think that that might've been, you know, wow, that's a, that's a lot of years that just went down the drain, you know, mm. and really it sounds like you found a way for those to be of some kind of meaning, you know? Mm. So do you have a, uh, maybe any last, any last, uh, kind of, advice or just maybe some like hope or some messages for people out there listening well i would just like to end with this so my problem our problem takes us takes our our very being our in our integrity takes our self-esteem and self-esteem is respect and you can't respect anyone else if you don't respect yourself first and foremost so respect is a big word but this disease that we use to cope with our problems, our core issues, has something that comes with it, and that thing that comes with it destroys our self-esteem and drives us further and further and deeper and deeper into despair and the self-loathing, unforgivable territory. How can we forgive ourselves now? We're too deep in it, right? Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you, man, I'm an example of that's BS. Mm-hmm. Because check it out. We restore that self-esteem it's called honor, and that's what others think of us, is our, right? We restore that by meeting obligations, and an obligation could be something as simple, and I'm talking about obligations to ourself before others. Self, children, others, right? A small obligation, like I'm getting up at 8 o'clock in the morning and I'm going to brush my teeth. Now there's an obligation. I get up at 8 o'clock in the morning, I brush my teeth, I feel better about myself because I did what I said I was going to do. Guess what? I have a little bit more self-esteem and you do that on a daily basis and to where, yeah, I'm going to go speak in front of a thousand people and tell them my story. Here's an obligation. I just fulfilled that. It could be as big or as little as you want. The point is, you fulfill that obligation, you regain your honor, what others think of you. Your self-esteem rises and you get to a point where you're at your higher self because that self-esteem is part of a basic need. Mm -hmm. 
right? Mm -hmm. So make a small obligation and fulfill it and do that daily and just watch and see where those obligations go and those fulfillment, how it brings back that self-esteem and now you have respect for yourself and you can give it to others. Mm -hmm. And that's how respect works. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. Yeah. Brush your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, you heard it. Brush your teeth. Uh, but no, seriously, yeah, that, make, that makes sense. You know, meeting, uh, developing some some way to you know really take yourself seriously and your life seriously i think you know is a lot about what that sounds like if you if you are not able to do so you lose a lot of traction mm -hmm. um so thank you so much uh again this is eric aaron had to leave a little bit early but uh eric and cobran and uh for to hear lloyd's really story of of just triumph and really making making uh meaning out of what could have been you know, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of, I guess, you know, really some loss, but he, he was able to, you know, turn that into, into benefit for himself and for a lot of other people around him. And so thank you so much. And this is you and I for the keynote.